I think we live in a time where uh, we need each other. You know, the world's gone through a rough, rough patch over the last year. I think in New Zealand, probably uh, less than a lot of other countries. We're quite isolated, obviously, being a little island down in the South Pacific. When you take off from Auckland Airport, you're fully aware that we live on an island because it's like, where, where's, where's it all gone, you know? It's not like flying over Aussie or America or India where you just land, 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 land and land, right? So um, there's been some big challenges out there. And um, uh, there's, there's certainly uh, an increase in a lot of things that are negative within society, even within New Zealand. And I, th I think this is, is uh, probably brought on from the COVID thing is, is maybe just struck things where, um, you know, people perhaps weren't too bad, but then they got anxious through it, uh, started to, you know, started to have some challenges in their life. Some people started to lose their jobs, you know, for sure, I would imagine drug use has gone up, um, you know, drinking alcohol, these type of things. Um, so we live in challenging times, and, that, and that's part of the reason I'm such a, I'm passionate about people connecting together and getting relationships with one another. And uh, the, the passion is not necessarily about uh, connecting for the sake of connecting over a, uh, for example, a, a Bible study or, or going mountain biking or surfing or knitting or whatever it is you do in your groups, crafts, bits and pieces like that. But it's more about the hook of what a... a a connect group is about. And that hook is about relationships. The relationships that you develop through small groups, you'll get nowhere else. And uh, can I whip up um, this first photo here, um, if I can. Now, I've just put this up here, um, going back a few years, about 20, um, which says about where my age is, um, I was asked to run a, uh, a small connect group in Old Papatoe, in South Auckland, and uh, I didn't know anyone in this place, and they were mainly sort of university age up to, uh, I think, maybe third-year university in bits and pieces, and, uh, and I was, anyway, I was asked to run this group, and it was classic, because I got, I got to this place, sat down, um, sort of, you know, formalities, sort of talk with everyone, it's always a little bit, you know, it's a little bit standoffish, say, when you meet people for the first time, of course, because you're sort of trying to suss everyone out and see what's going on, and I noticed there's a pea, like a squashy pea on the floor, and a peanut on one side. And that was the start of this incredible connect group that went on for years. And this is what came out of that pea and that peanut right here. I ended up emceeing uh, uh, three weddings out of, out of this connect group. Um, I'm actually in this one. I'm trying to look cool down the far side. There. I don't know if you can pick me. I'm pretty hairy back in those days. This is my mate. He's a bit of a rocker. He uh, married Jo. And she was the daughter, uh, the daughter of... of um, of, of the house uh, where, where we're running the connect group. And I also ended up, uh, if we can flick to the next slide, um, this is two, two of my best mates, um, uh, Dave, who's in the front there, and, um, and oh, my other mate, now my, name's got, my, my mind's gone blank to what his name is. But anyway, they're my mates, right? <laughs> I got it right in the first service. I knew I should have written this down. Anyway, that's what marijuana does to your head in the early days, you see. Blows your mind, man. So, um, yeah, so anyway, they're, they're two of my best mates. I ended up emceeing for both of their weddings too. And, uh, and in Dave's wedding, I had the, the privilege of driving around the bridal party, which was pretty cool. And uh, which, what was even cooler about it is it was the fastest station wagon in the world at that stage, which was an Audi uh, bi-turbo V8. 
and it was the fastest station wagon in the world, and his dad deliberately turned the speed down. You could like push in with the window wipers and somehow manipulate it to put it into valet mode. <laughs> but my mate being the man, this is Dave, he got in there, looked online, worked it all out, you know what I mean? Released it out of valet mode. Whoa, that was a dangerous night. I'm amazed we even lived to tell the tale. It's a pretty incredible car to drive around in. But um, this is my greatest, uh, my greatest hope and desire for each, each person that goes to this church is they get hooked in to a connect group. And this is why. It's because of these lifelong relationships that come out of it. Um, as I mentioned, it's not about what you do. It's about these lifelong relationships that you develop out of that connection with people. Um, it's interesting, um, in, the, in the biblical model, um, we see there's temple worship, as we discovered when we did the, the sessions on the Sabbath. There's temple worship, right? Here's the big day. Here we're all here. We're all out in our flash clothes. We're looking pretty cool, pretty sexy. And, uh, and, and, and then, then we have this house-to-house ministry, right? And, and this is what I'm talking about is the house-to-house ministry. Look, the big day is awesome. You know, we love coming together. We love going to the big concert. We love going to the big game, you know? We love getting to that place. Because it's a cool place to be. God comes down and dwells in the praises of his people. We get fantastic singing. So we don't have to let, perhaps, hear our voice, which may not be quite so fantastic as singing. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's about this, this temple worship and this house-to-house ministry. And, and this is what I want to touch on this day. Um, and is that in this, in this house-to-house ministry, this is where we form this quality. This is where we get to need each other. And we get to develop these incredible relationships with each other. In, in fact, the Bible, it's interesting, because the Bible talks a lot about loneliness. And there's some very lonely people in the, in the Bible, as well as in society. Can we whip on the next slide, please? This is a 2010 survey, so it's 10 years ago, right, in New Zealand. And this is basically uh, 15 to 29-year-olds, higher levels of loneliness out of every segment, and 18%, let's say 20% felt lonely almost or some of the time. This is over a four-week period, right? I mean, 20% of people in that age group felt lonely. I mean, this is... And I don't think the stats will be any better today. I mean, I bet you they're twice as worse. I mean, maybe it's 30% now. Maybe you're sitting here out there today thinking, man, I'm, that's me, Elliot. You're talking about me. I'm a lonely person. I mean, I go to church. I have salvation. I know God. But when I'm at home, I get, I get alone, you know? Or dur- during my week, I, get, I, I, I become lonely. Um, so, you know, it's a very real thing in society, not, not just, you know, like we sort of sometimes, I think, think within a church environment, oh, we've got it all together, right? You know, because we see the happy clappy on the big, big days. But no, it's not always like that, right? I mean, this, this, is, you know, this is the Instagram shot right here, you know? This is me and my, you know, my best gears, man, you know? I even got these jeans sewed. My sister sewed them up during the week because of my massive thighs. No, not, not, not at all. They're just cheap, cheap quality jeans, I think. But anyway, um, yeah, so we're filled with, this country's filled with lonely people. It's interesting um, that in the Bible, you know, the first major problem in the Bible, guess what it was? It wasn't sin. I'll give you that. It was solitude. You see, God created Adam, and Adam was alone. He needed a helpmate. He needed a woman um, in that situation. And, and it, and it, and it fascinate, fascinates me that, that this is the first thing that was addressed in the Bible. 
Um, and we, we see it, we see it uh, in the life of Solomon. You know, Solomon blows me away because he's this paradox of personality. You know, he's this guy that's running the largest superpower in the world. He has this incredible wisdom that God granted him. Um, you know, silver was just common. You know, silver was common metal in, in, in the days of Israel, it said, when Solomon was king. All the nations of the world were bringing the wealth um, to Solomon. You know, gold was a common thing in those days. I mean, this guy was running the superpower of the world, and everyone wanted to come and get his attention and get his wisdom. Yet we read in uh, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 8a, There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. I mean, this is, this is the King Solomon man writing about, and this guy had it all going on. I mean, if he wanted to buy an island, he would just go and buy the damn thing. You know, if you're putting it in context today, you can just get up every day and decide, what do I want to do? Do I want to fly in one of those anti-gravity planes just this side of space? Oh, yeah, I might do that. Oh, let's book it in. Bang. Into your helicopter, off you go, and you're doing it. I want to buy an island in the Bahamas. I mean, this, 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 this is the type of wealth that we're talking about here, yet there was no end to his toil. Um, it's interesting, like, because what? He had, I think you said, was it 300 wives, 700 concubines? I don't know, he seemed to know the number. He's a numbers man, this guy. He's good at numbers. He had multiple, multiple wives, you know, which is an incredible thought in itself. But this guy had it all, you know? And uh, it reminds me of a, a little joke I heard of a, a guy that was, um, he, he was studying uh, at a seminary, and he went to the professor of the day, and he said to the professor, why is it that Solomon had so many wives? And the professor contemplated his answer and turned around and, and said to him, I believe it was so when he got home at night, at least one of them would have been in a good mood. <laughs> now, if there's any problems with that joke, Pastor Ants gave it to me before the service, right? <laughs> no, no, he didn't, no, he didn't. And I'm just jesting here. You know I'm just jesting. See, he had it all, but I believe he didn't have any true relationships, you know? He was a lonely man inside, which is a sad thing. So I want to talk to you a little bit about five principles out of the life of Jesus. And it starts um, uh, around the Passover time when Jesus was uh, gathering with the disciples for the Passover before um, Gethsemane and when he went to the cross. Um, now, in the Synoptic gospel, Gospels, which is the, uh, trying to get my tongue around these things today, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we know they're all similar Gospels, right? And they all give about a paragraph to the sequence of events within Jesus' life. But then we go to the book of John, and there's five chapters that address this area, which is from the Passover through to the Garden of Gethsemane. Five chapters. You know, John was writing some pretty deep and meaningful stuff there. You can see why it said that he was the disciple that rested on Jesus' you know, breast, as they said in the, old, in, in the Bible, you know, at, at, the, at the supper. You know, he, 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 he got down to the nitty-gritty, this boy. Um, so, look, it was customary as the disciples were, were getting to this house for this, this feast of Passover for the feet to be washed, right? We all probably know that. It's, you know, it was a common thing in those days. As you came in, you wore sandals. It was pretty dusty. You walked everywhere, right? And uh, so, you know, your feet would be washed. And guess what? There obviously wasn't anyone that went for the, uh, the, the wash basin. I imagine it wouldn't be the first thing you'd be jumping for. Let's put it that way. Especially if you didn't like touching people's feet. 
I don't know about you guys. Anyone a sort of feet person or not? <laughs> Anyone like being touched on their feet? Is someone down there? Yes. Do I see another hand? No, I do. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> a few people getting toe in here, right? Um, so anyway, Jesus picks up this basin and starts, starts to wash the disciples' feet. And uh, I love this, this slide here. Like, this is Peter here, I believe. And you can see, because he's angry, eh? He's not happy about this. It's like, here is the Jesus, the Messiah, the creator of the universe, and he's washing your feet? Settle down, someone! You know, I mean, that is just ridiculous. What a ridiculous thought. You know, it's like going to the, you know, the most powerful person in the world and saying, hey, mate, you need to wash my feet today. What? Get down with your bad self. That is just, you know, it's not cool, right? It's not cool. So Peter said, I don't think so. The disciples were uncomfortable, right? After three years on the road doing ministry, living life with this guy, with this Messiah, they didn't want to let him see the cracks in their feet, right? They didn't want to smell the smells down there. I mean, who knows? It can get pretty smelly, right? I remember snowboarding with a guy through South Island one time. We called him the Wolverine. And, mate, his feet were that bad, I mean, honestly. We made him wear shoes. He tried to wear bare feet the first time after snowboarding for the day. We said, nah, nah, no way, mate. You're wearing shoes for the rest of the trip. He had some serious feet shoes. But anyway. Um, so where was I? Where was I? Get back to the message, mate. Get back to the message. Um, so well, I believe there's parts in our life that, that we just want to bury. There's parts that we don't want to show Jesus either. These cracks, these smells, these, these parts of our life that, you know, may be a bit fetid. You know, there's, there's wounds in there. There's things we've gone through in life. And, and we, were, we just want to keep it undercover. We want the feet, you know, the shoes to stay on. We don't want to expose that, expose that to God. And, you know, you, know, you don't want to talk about these, these, these things on this part of your life that carries your life, which is your feet, right? And Jesus, I love his response there. He says, I really need to go to that place or we can't be partners. This is in my ad lib, all right? Um, as we see in John here. No, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet. But Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So there's something bigger going on here than washing feet, man. Do you get, do you get what I'm talking about here? And, um, you know, how, how many have a part of God, but not all of God? Um, like I'm not saying about salvation. We have the salvation experience, and it's fantastic. Um, but do we let Jesus really get into those areas where he needs to get, you know, cleansed down deep? You know, sort out those issues, those insecurities, those things in our life, those wounds from the past that we just keep burying over because it's too painful, you know, to expose that thing. Um, you know, how, how much do we let Jesus into that place? Are we, are we open to that? Um, well, if we look, if we look into John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, um, which ends at Gethsemane, we see... Each chapter has a theme, and it's about relationships. So I want to talk about five principles out of the life of Jesus. Now, this is in relation to connect groups, because this is what I'm about, all right? 
Um, and this is what I want all you guys to be about. If you're not on one, I want you to get involved. Um, John 13, verse 13 to 14, and as uh, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And this, the, first, the first point I want to make here is, I need someone who will care for me. We need to be caregivers and care receivers. Because yeah, right. we all need care now and then, right? That's right? And we all need to give care now and then. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labour. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 16 says, If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. So, you know, the, the ultimate, you know, what we're talking about here is doing the pastor out of a job. You think about it. I mean, I believe this church is going to grow. And, we're, and look, I don't know where it's going to grow to. Maybe 500, maybe 1,000, maybe 2,000. Maybe we're going to have multiple campuses all throughout the Waikato, maybe into other regions. I mean, if, if, if the mix is right and God willing, anything's possible here. So, you know, we need someone that will care for us in the midst of this. We need to be performing as the primary pastoral care. You know, we need to be caring for each other. I mean, it's too much for a pastor to know every person and all about what's going on in their life and the challenges that you're facing on a daily basis or weekly basis. And that's why we need to get into connect groups so we can relate, so we can help each other, so we can do so, so many things together and build lifelong relationships. Point two, I need someone who will encourage me. John 14, one and two, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to a place to pre prepare for you. The disciples were discouraged. I mean, this is what's going on here. I think they were in this sort of state of, well, what's going on? Jesus has been saying these things about the cross. You know, is he leaving us? What's happening? I mean, we're looking in hindsight, right? So it's easy to see what's going on. But they, they didn't know. I think they were sort of a little bit lost of, where's it all going next um, in their minds? So they were discouraged. And, and Jesus, of course, encouraged. Uh, and he said, you know, I'm going to heaven and I've got a mansion for you, and that's where you're going too. So Jesus was all about this encouragement, and, and I need someone who will encourage me, and I know we all do on a, on a daily, if not weekly basis, someone who encourage us. I love the story of Barnabas in, in the Bible. We all know Barnabas. I, I don't know why, but I always picture him as quite a short guy with a beard. I, you know, I don't know, it's weird, eh? You sort of get these, you know, um, you know it's like a short grant, basically. Um, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like you get these weird sort of pictures in your head, eh, when you read the Bible, and that's why it's so, it sort of destroys it sometimes if you read something and then you go and see the film after it, right? And you go, that, that accent's wrong. There's not, no, that guy was skinny. No, he was muscly. You know what I mean? Like we picture in our mind, eh, that's the power of reading. Uh, we've become such a visual age, but we've lost that, that ability of creativity through being bombarded by it. But anyway, we, Barnabas was great because Paul, as we know, who sat and endorsed uh, the first martyr of the Bible, Stephen. He sat down. He was out there arresting Christians, persecuting, endorsing them, being stoned to death. He got radically saved, of course, on the way to uh, Emmaus. Well, not that he knew at that time. He just knew God showed himself, was blinded. And, uh, and we see Barnabas later on saying to the, the brothers in, in um, Jerusalem, the church leaders, saying, hey, you've got to give this guy a go. 
God's changed his life. Man, there's something that's gone on this man. You've got to trust him. And they're all going, oh, no, um, yeah, you know, having probably multiple meetings about it, casting straw. I don't know what they are doing. But Barnabas was the guy that broke through and got Paul basically into the church at that day, which is awesome because, man, there wouldn't be much of the Bible left to read eh, if Paul wasn't involved at that time. So we're going to be flipping thankful for Barnabas. So we need to be encouragers. And we should find this within a connect group environment. Uh, Three, we need each other. Uh, John 15 verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. We need each other when there's a need. Hey, you may have lost your job. You may have lost your house. You may have just had a baby. Someone may have just passed away. Someone may have had a separated relationship. I mean, we need each other. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor, right? So this is what it's all about. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Guess what? God's prepared good works for each and every one of us that's sitting in here today to do. You're not there just to sit and warm your posterior on a church seat on a Sunday, but there's good works for you to do in life. In fact, I'd like, I'm looking towards next year and I'm thinking it'd be cool for every connect group to get involved and maybe doing a little serve thing. So maybe, you know, going weeding someone's garden down the road that can't do it or, 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 you know, just getting out there into the community. You know, if it's one thing a term, one thing every second term. So there's an outward focus from, from the inward group as such. Um, what do you guys think? Be a good idea? We've got to impact society. We've got to impact people in our neighbourhood, you know. Um, number four, I need people that can protect me when I'm vulnerable. This is a big one. John 16, verse 1, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. Someone's got your back. I mean, who wants someone to have their back? You know? I mean, who's been in a place where they, where they haven't had someone have your back? I mean, I think I have. It's a tough place to be in life, you know? So we need someone that's got our back. Someone that's going to punch for you, you know, and fight in your corner. Um, I was down in, uh, I don't mean that literally, but, you know, just ear punching, of course, you know. <laughs> Anyone do ear punching around here? It's not bad. Just do a rocky thing up the steps now and then, and, you know, punch the air. You feel pretty good about yourself. Um, so I need someone who pr- can protect me when we're vulnerable. Um, look, in the Greek, uh, this... Uh, uh, um, aban- uh, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. And that, that abandon in the Greek is uh, where we get the word scandal. All right? You know? When there's a scandal, um, you know, that someone's put a snare in the way or caused to stumble. Um, and we need people to help us when we're vulnerable. Um, Ecclesiastes 4.12 says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three. Three, well, man, you're almost damn invincible when you get to three. Well, look, you know, the three musketeers. I mean, think about threes in life. I mean, three is, is just what it's all about. Um, it's like, I've, I liken it like this. You've heard of the Neighbourhood Watch? The Neighbourhood Watch is like a group that, as a community group, and it keeps an eye on everyone's houses, you know, so no one thieves your stuff or takes off of your car or, I don't know, takes off with your children, I don't, I don't know. Um, but, you know, they're out there keeping an eye on things. It's a little bit like the U.S. Army Rangers. You know, they will leave no man behind. You know, that's part of their motto. Um, 
Can I say this? John Wesley, he's an interesting guy. He um, founded the Methodist Church, right? And his method was, guess what? Connect groups, small groups. And check this out. He had a system of hard questions that he would get asked um, that, sorry, that, that, that would be asked in the small group each week. And this is, this is right from the start of the, of the Methodist church. And these have been manipulated a bit over the year to fit the current, current times. But catch this out. These are the type of questions that I think are good to ask. Have you been in a compromising situation this week? Have you had any financial dealings lacking in integrity? Have you viewed sexually explicit material this week? Have you prioritised Bible study and prayer this week? Have you given priority time to your family? Have you given priority to your calling? And then the last one is, have you just lied to me? Because, you know, these are deep questions, right? Um, but if you're in a place where you will allow people to be that close to you, that they can ask those questions of your life, that's a very, very healthy place to be. Yeah, that's, right. that's a safe place to be. But look, I'm not saying go out there and tell everyone. All right? I'm not saying go out there and tell everyone, but you better tell someone. You with me, church? Yeah? yeah? I'm Elliot. I'm just trying to do some pastoral stuff here. Make sure you tell someone. We need people like that. People that protect us when we're vulnerable. And fifthly, we need people who will pray for you. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the garden to teach them how to pray. They fell asleep. Jesus sweated blood, as we know, in the garden of Gethsemane. And guess what? He didn't pray for the world. He said he prayed, I pray for them. That's the disciples. John 17, uh, verse 9, My prayer is not for the world, but for those you gave me, because they belong to you. Look, we can do all the projects in the world, you know, feed the poor, clothe the sick, and do all of this type of thing. But if we're not okay, we're not okay. You know, we need each other. We need each other first and foremost. Then out of that, that quality of relationship and accountability to one another, hey, then we go and clothe the world, right? Then we go and feed the sick, you know, and whatever else we can do out there to impact people for Jesus. So we need good leaders too that'll pray for each and every person in their uh, connect group. Prayers like this, Ephesians 6 verse 18, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. I mean, I'm talking about the big stuff here. I know it's a quite, serious, quite a serious message, eh? <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but I mean, it's, um, I don't like sort of telling this type of stuff, really, because it all, you know, you've got to look at yourself, too. And I've been looking at my cracks and, you know, stinky feet over this week, too, you know, and thinking, man. Anyway, we're all humans, eh? Can I just finish on this? Is that, you know, I think I'm quite a confident sort of guy. And, um, but when I look at my life, 
I see areas, and I'm a bit of a paradox. You know, like there's areas of me that are, are like a house of cards. And, uh, and I know I'm not alone. I think this is just humanity. You know, we all have our areas. We all have our challenges. And um, I, lo- I love, love the story of Moses. You know, he's this incredible guy, and we probably know the story, but, you know, had the staff, and, man, he struck the Red Sea, and bang, the Red Sea opened up. How cool is that? What a cool dude, man. You know, he struck the rock. He probably shouldn't have struck it as hard as he did, but he did. Water flowed from that rock. What? Flipping heck. That is incredible. Imagine if you're just sort of look, peering over a dune at this massive million, millions of people of the Israelites, and this guy struck a rock, and boom, out comes the Waikato River, man. I mean, it's incredible stuff. But then we get to the, the story when Israelites in a fight, and, you know, he's got his hands raised, his hands gets tired. A couple of guys roll a rock over, get him to sit on the rock, and they help hold his hands up. And can I say you today, we need our hands held up. We can't do this alone. We've got to do this together. We've got to connect. We've got to get involved. And uh, please come and see me. Please come and see someone on the team if you're not in a group or if you'd like to run a group. And finally, um, just as I finish... Let me just pray quickly. You know, the ultimate relationship in life is with one another, but there's a bigger one again, and that's with Jesus Christ. And I'd just like to pray a quick prayer, if you'd shut your eyes. Father, I thank you for each person that's uh, sitting here, each person that's online. I pray that if they don't know you, God, that they would get a revelation of who you are at this time. God, that you'd speak into their heart. God, that you'd touch them by the power of your Holy Ghost. Lord, and they would be born again in the Spirit and experience true relationship, true freedom, true connection with the creator of the universe, the lover of their souls, the one that prayed not for the world but for the individual, for his team of people around them. So, Father, I pray you touch their lives right now and uh, speak into their hearts over these next weeks, months, and years straight into eternity. Amen.